are continuing our message series this week. Uh, it's entitled, God Never Said That. And it's a look at a few things that Christians tend to think that God said, but they're not really in the Bible. Or perhaps they are, but we've kind of twisted them around to mean something different than what God actually said. For example, last weekend we talked about the statement as if God would say, I just want you to be happy. And don't misunderstand, it's not that God is like, you know, up there enjoying our suffering. That's not true at all. But God has something deeper for you than just circumstantial happiness, because happiness kind of up, comes and goes with the ebbs and flows of life, right? It's a circumstantial thing. God wants you to be filled with joy, a joy that only comes from Jesus, a joy that is bigger than the pains and the, the ups and the downs of this world. That's what God wants for you. So if you missed it, I invite you to check it out online. Um, and, uh, and also I want to just express my sincere thanks to our church. Um, I let you know last weekend that my mother had passed away a week ago Friday, and uh, we were back in Illinois for her um, celebration of life. And I just want to thank you for all just the, your kind words and your prayers. I could feel those. Uh, so much support, cards, all these things, texts. And you are so kind to my family and I. And uh, we just feel always, but especially last week, just so loved by you. So thank you. It's, it's so good to not have to go through grief alone. God didn't make us to go through those kinds of things alone. And I'm thankful for you, church family. So this weekend, we're going to look at a statement that is a little related to that, actually. It's a statement that I can almost guarantee you've heard before. In fact, you might have said it before, not really knowing any better. So if you hear this statement and you're like, oh man, I've said that a lot, please don't feel bad. I'm not trying to step on your toes, but here's the deal. You can't say it anymore after today, okay? <laughs> Because I'm going to show you why it's not what God said, and actually it can be a very destructive thing. And the statement is this, God will never give you more than you can handle. Heard it before? Sure you have. In fact, maybe, like I say, maybe you've said it, or maybe you've heard it, you may even have some painful memories of it. When you were going through some really tough times, and, and you just wanted somebody to listen, and they said, hey, don't worry, God will never give you more than you can handle. It can be a really a tough one. So what's the problem with it? Well, let's jump right in. First of all, first problem is it's not in the Bible, okay? God did not say that in Scripture. And you, you might be like, yeah, I'm pretty sure he did. I've heard it so much. It has to be in there somewhere. No, it's not. I promise. I've read the whole thing. It's not there, okay? Here's where it comes from. It's, for, it's a verse called 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, and it's actually not talking about the general pains in life, it's talking about temptation specifically. It says this, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful who he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way, for, a way out so that you can endure it. Okay, so this is very clearly about temptation. In fact, the context of the passage is about temptation. Uh, Paul's been writing and he, to uh, the church there in Corinth, and he was talking actually about ancient Israel and how God had led them out of Egypt. They had a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God's presence was there in such real and tangible ways. God showed up in so many ways throughout their lives, and yet they often messed up. 
They often gave in to temptation. They fell into immorality. They fell into idolatry time and time again. And what Paul's doing is he's using them as an example. He's saying that they were tempted and, and they screwed up. Don't be like them. Why? 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Because there's no temptation that has overtaken you except that which is common to humankind. Okay? In other words, the temptations you face are the same temptations that people face. We always tend to believe we're exceptional, right? Like, oh no, my temptations are worse. No, other people are going through them. It doesn't mean that everybody has the same temptation you do, but some other people do. So there's no temptation that's taken you, but that which is common to humankind. But God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond that which you are able but he'll always make a way out so that you'll be able to bear it. Now, this is really hopeful news. Like when you face a temptation, it means that, that you never will face a temptation that's like the mother of all temptation and you just can't say no. You may feel that way, but that's Satan lying to you. This verse gives us great hope that every temptation that you face, when you're a follower of Jesus, You've got the Holy Spirit inside of you, and God can and will make a way out. You can say no to temptation. You don't have to give in. See, we don't tend to like to look at sin this way because it puts a high standard for us in terms of holiness. We like to say, ah, sin, everybody sins, everybody does it, right? It's just kind of life, you, so be it, right? I mean, yeah, I sin, but, but not as bad as that one, that one, or that one, right? You know, so it's not that big of a deal. But that's not how God looks at it. No, God says, be holy as I am holy. Or Jesus even said in Matthew, be perfect. Is your heavenly Father's perfect? We're like, oh my gosh, this is too much, right? Clearly, I get it. We all mess up. But this verse gives us hope. When you sin, what do you do? First, confess your sin. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful, he's just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So confess your sin to God, let him wash you clean, get back up, and ask for the strength to be different. Instead of just tolerating it, instead of just saying, well, this is what it is, it is who I am, I can't be any different. Nope, Jesus died so you can be set free. When you give your life to Jesus, you are no longer a slave to sin. You are a child of God. So you can and you should say no to temptation. When it comes, God, please give me this way of escape. You promised that you would. Please help me out. Maybe I'll, I need to talk with my life group or my band. I need to confess it. I need their encouragement and accountability. Maybe I need to, get to uh, seek counseling. Maybe I need to have some accountability structures in my life. Maybe I need to get some things out of my house, or I need to have some accountability software on my devices. Whatever it is, God wants to make a way of escape so that you can make it through this temptation. That's what he promises you. So you see, this is a verse of great hope. But you see how people could misunderstand. If you just apply this thing about temptation to all the problems of life, which are very different than just temptation... That's how we get there. So we take something written about temptation, we apply it to all of life's difficulties, we say, yep, there's God. He'll never give you more than you can handle. But that's not, that's not what the verse is saying. And whenever we pull a verse out of context like that, whenever we take it to say something it's not saying, that's where we get ourselves into trouble, see? 
God wants something better for you. God wants something deeper for you. The challenge is that when we're talking with our friends and they're going through hard times, we like to say things that we think are going to be helpful, right? We, we like to say things to encourage them, to uplift them. And sometimes what we do is we kind of settle for like these platitudes, right? These nice little pithy statements that we think are going to help them out. But in reality, they, they don't help anybody out. I mean, let's say that you have a friend who calls you up some evening this week. And they're like, you know what? I just had the worst day. Let me tell you about how bad my day was. First, I accidentally slept in. I shut the alarm off. I slept in, and so I was going to be late to work. I was hurrying around the house. That, that dang puppy that we just got wanted to play. I tripped over the puppy. I sprained my ankle real bad, right? And oh, it hurts so much, right? I managed to limp my way through stuff to get into work. And what happens? But my boss yells at me for being late. I already know I'm late. That doesn't help, right? So I'm so frustrated by this that I don't get all my work done, so I had to bring work home tonight, and that's frustrating. Then after lunch, I get a call from the principal. Well, my daughter's been having trouble with this bully. She gets in a fight with the bully, knocks the bully out. Well, now I got to answer for that. That's going to be difficult, right? You know? So there's that. Then I finally, I have to fight traffic to get home. I get home. I'm tired. My foot hurts. I step in the door, and what do I step in? Oh, a nice gift left for me by that stupid puppy. I hate that puppy. I can't take anymore. What do you say? Well, hopefully you don't say, stinks to be you. I mean, I had an awesome day. I got up on time. I got into work. I got a promotion, in fact, right? Like, they like me that much. I'm going to get paid more. That's awesome, right? Uh, you know, my kid made the honor roll today. Then tonight, I took my dog for a walk because I don't have a broken ankle. And while we were walking, there was this drowning victim. My dog rescued the drowning victim. <laughs> Local hero, if you ask me. S stinks to be you, buddy. <laughs> That's not it, right? That's not exactly caring, if you will, right? So we want to say things that are helpful, but we don't know what to say. So we say, you know, hey, I'm sorry you've had all that, but don't worry, you're going to make it, because I know it's a lot, but God will never give you more than you can handle. Hmm. Well, it's not in the Bible, and also it, it, it's not a faithful it's not a faithful thing to say because, friend, God doesn't cause all your pain. And the assumption here is that all these bad things that happened to you were God causing your pain. Now, we hear this stuff a lot. I mean, even Mother Teresa said, I know that God won't give me more than I can handle. I just wish he didn't trust me so much. <laughs> We've felt that before, right? We've all, we've all felt that. But friend, God does not cause all of your pain. Sometimes, you see, this, this view of God is really, it's kind of a sick view when you think about it because it's looking at God as like this, this pain inflictor. And he knows that your threshold is like right here, right? 
And so he sees that you're living at like moderate level of pain and like, oh, we could ratchet it up a little more, right? They can take that level of pain. Oh, well, you know, they're handling that. We could go here. Let's take it up another few degrees. How are we doing? What, why would God do that? That seems kind of sick, you know? Some of you have a person in your life who is, does this for you. You actually pay them to do it. It's your personal trainer, right? <laughs> You're like, I can't do one more set. They're like, yeah, you can. Here's the weights. Do two, right? Oh, I don't think I could do even one, right? And I remember in college that we had, um, I got to play soccer at this little Christian college, and we had this trainer. His name was Bud, and Bud was, I'm pretty sure, a psychopath, right? Like, (laughs) he would run us so hard during conditioning, and you would feel like you could not run anymore. And we had guys who were throwing up. We had, it, it was bad. It was really, really rough. And then he would push you even further, right? I remember one time we're doing this, this crazy relay that he had made. And part of it involves some of the people are sprinting around the soccer field, which is quite a long sprint all the way around it. And, and then some other part of the team would be sitting while they were running. He, what he would call is sitting on the wall, which is not sitting like in a chair. It's like your back's against the wall. You're in this kind of squatting position, which is not like actual sitting because there's no chair. And your legs begin to bark at you pretty quickly when you're doing this, right? Because it's difficult. And so you'd have to sit on the wall. You'd be exhausted. You have to sit on the wall until your friends got back, and then they would sit on the wall while you ran around. Well, Bud would bring a megaphone to practice, and I'm here, I'm sitting on the wall, and I'm just, I'm hurting. I don't know if I can make it a lot longer. I'm thinking, man, I hope these guys hurry up. And Bud gets on his megaphone, he's like, hey guys, slow down out there. John is just sitting over here. He's just taking it easy. No rush, he needs a break. I can tell by looking at him, right? I've never wanted to do such bad things with a megaphone in my life before, right? Like, you gotta be kidding me, right? But, but Bud, it was at least for my own good, right? He was trying to help us be better athletes. The pains of life are not always that way. Sometimes they just really hurt and we don't even know why. Some of you know exactly what this is like. You've been through stuff or you're going through stuff right now that is just so painful and so senseless. And it seems... How do you explain it? A few years ago, I was at our veterinarian when we lived up in Dayton. I was uh, there to pick up our dog who'd had a minor surgery. And so I was uh, in there in the waiting room with um, another lady who was in the same position, right? And she uh, struck up a conversation and she asked me um, what I do for a living. So I told her, and it's always interesting, there's a few kind of stock responses to that, right? Like, one of them, the most common is they stop cussing so much. It's <laughs> that one. Hers was a different one, though. It was uh, another common one, which is to share something that's significant and important to them. And she began to tell me about her young child, probably about two years old. And this child had serious behavioral issues. And she was telling me about all this stuff, and it was difficult. You could tell that she had been through so much with this child. And I said to her, I said, oh, I'm, I'm sorry you're going through that. It, parenting is hard. I mean, I have three kids, and uh, we, we try our best. But sometimes we do better than others, and sometimes things work better than others. But hang in there. You know, you, 
every stage has its challenges. And she looks at me and she goes, no, I, I, I can't do that. You don't understand. She says, my child died two months ago. I said, I am so sorry. I, I can't imagine what that's like. I'm just, I'm so sorry that you're going through that. And she looked at me and she said something I'll never forget. She'll say, no, it's okay. It's okay because I know that God will never give me more than I can handle. And God saw that I wasn't doing a good job with this child, so he took my child away. What kind of God? What kind of God would do that? You see, friends, sometimes when we try to take really difficult situations and tie a neat little bow on top of them, we cause a lot of hurt and pain. And we don't mean to. But I'm sure that someone along the way said to her, I know you're hurting and this is bad, but you'll make it because God will never give you any more than you can handle. In other words, God took your baby away because you couldn't handle it. That's not God. It's not God. And I looked at her and... and Usually in these kind of moments, usually when people say things in moments of pain that aren't really accurate, we, we try not to correct those things because it's not really the time, right? You know, usually we just try to be caring and kind, but this one was so egregious that I just felt in my spirit that I, I had to say something. I said, ma'am, I'm, I'm so sorry that your child died, but I don't believe that God took your child. I know just from our conversation that you love your child very much. I can tell that you're a good mom. And I know that God is not angry with you. And he certainly wouldn't take your child away from you because you were going through tough times. She began to cry, and we, we talked about it there that day. I invited her to come to our church. I, I don't know that she ever did, and I... I still pray for her whenever I think of her. You know, I don't know why her child died. I know that God did not create the world to be this way. I know that God created the world to be free from sin. We chose sin, and when we did, we brought death into this world. We brought so much pain and hurt into this world but that still doesn't explain why her specific child dies and mine haven't. I haven't. You haven't. I don't know. I don't have a simple answer for that. And I don't think I need to have a simple answer for that. See, sometimes when people are going through pain, we feel as if we need to fix it for him right there, like as if God has sent us here to fix his problems. Like when we do dumb stuff, we need an attorney sometimes to fix our legal problems or maybe a PR rep to explain the stupid things we shouldn't have said. 
God doesn't need you as his attorney or PR rep, my friend. He hasn't put you here for that reason. Sometimes human pain just doesn't have simple, easy answers. So we ask the question, where is God in all of this? Where is God in all of this pain? Well, doesn't he... Doesn't his will have something to do with all these problems here on earth? Well, that leads to the third problem with this statement, and that is, this is a misunderstanding of God's will. It's not in the Bible. It's wrong because God doesn't cause all your pain, and it's wrong because it's a misunderstanding of God's will. Sometimes Christians think that everything that happens is God's will, and that's not fully true. Uh, I'm going to just give you like a a month of a seminary class here in like three minutes. Sorry about that. But God's will is more complex than that, and it's actually in similar ways to your will. Let me explain. First, there's different categories of God's will. The first is God's perfect will. God's perfect will is very clear. God's perfect will is that you would be made into the likeness of Jesus Christ, that you would be like Jesus. That's God's will for every human. Jesus came, he gave his life so that you, me, and every person can be saved. He took the sins of the world on his body, went to the cross so that we could be saved, so that we could be made into the likeness of Jesus. That is God's perfect, unquestionable will for everyone. Second, God's uh, preceptive will. In other words, God's commands. God's preceptive will is, is very easy to understand. It's in the Bible. It's God's commands, do this, don't do that. It's difficult to live out. We mess it up. We sin. We, we fall short of God's glory. We call, fall short of God's calling when we violate God's precepts. But we can understand these things. For example, you don't have to pray and ask God about whether or not you should yell at your spouse, right? God told you to be kind. God told you that, that marriage is a relationship where we submit to one another in love, right? And we treat each other with love and kindness as we ourselves want to be treated. So you don't need to pray and ask if that's God's will. Just read the Bible. It's clear it's not. That's God's preceptive will. God's preferred will is another category. These are the things that make God happy. We see this. um, Moses appealed to this one time. God was angry with the Israelites. They had sinned once again. They had fallen astray, they're worshiping idols, and God literally says, he says, Moses, I've had it with these people, I'm going to wipe them from the face of this earth, I'm going to start over with you, you and your family, you're going to be this new nation, and that's going to be my chosen people. And Moses appeals to God's will here, he appeals to God's preferred will, and he says, God, you love to show mercy, that's what you love to do. Sure, you can judge them, you could do that, you'd be justified in doing that, but you don't want to do that. You want to show mercy. And God did that. That's God's preferred will. Another category is God's permissive will. These are the things that God allows. Everything that happens has flowed through God's permissive will. So to say that something, you know, to say that something that happened is God's will, that's why I say it's really kind of a twisting of the truth that Yes, God allowed it to happen. That is true. 
I don't know why God allows everything to happen that he does. But God's permissive will is very directive than God's, different, excuse me, than God's directive will. God's directive will is the things God actually causes to happen. So if we say that whatever you're going through, you don't need to worry because God will never give you more than you can handle, that's a reference to God's directive will, the things he is giving you, actively giving you. And that's why that's not a true statement. There's a big difference in God's permissive will and God's directive will. Let me give you an example. Um, let's say you have a grandchild or a child, young one, who is curious about things, and they're curious about that hot stove, right? It looks like so much fun to be around, right? Now, your perfect will is that your child or grandchild would never be hurt. You never want that. I mean, it would be sick to want your kid to be hurt, right? So that's your perfect will. Your preceptive will, your instructions, your rules are don't touch the stove. Real clear, not difficult to understand. Don't do it. Hot stove, it'll burn you. Do not touch the stove. Your preferred will is that your child would hear your, your rules, your preceptive will, and would follow them so that they don't get hurt. Because again, back to that perfect will, you don't want anything bad to happen. So in this situation, you don't want them to touch the stove. But when it gets down here to your permissive will, if you have a parenting philosophy like mine, you might actually eventually allow them to touch the stove. Why would you do that? Well, if you keep catching them trying to do it, you keep, nope, don't touch, nope, don't touch, nope, don't touch the stove, you may decide just to let them do it to see why the rule is what it is. Because some of us are pretty stubborn. <laughs> and we got to learn some lessons the hard way. And maybe if they learn this lesson the hard way, maybe it'll save them from learning some of life's harder lessons the hard way. But, did you cause them to do that? Was it your directive will? Did you say, you're not allowed to touch the stove, let me show you why, give me your hand. No, that's sick. You shouldn't, you'd never do that. That's a total violation of that earlier will. You don't ever want them to get hurt, right? You'd never cause it to happen, but you might, you might allow it to happen. So if the kid did that, and if the kid touched their sto the stove, and somebody came up to them and said, don't worry, it's all right, because your parent will never give you more than you can handle. You'd be like, excuse me, I didn't give that to them. I did everything I could, just about, to not have them do that. That's their own doing right there, okay? I love them, I care for them, I still don't want them to get hurt, but don't blame me for that one. They, they touched the stove. They chose to touch the stove. God does not cause everything that God permits. Just because you're going through pain does not mean that God caused that pain. And I know my stove illustration is simplistic, but I think it's realistic too. I think it helps us to understand a little bit about God's will. 
God is not trying to shield you from every pain in the world, but it doesn't mean that God causes all of your pain. So what do we do? What do we say when the person comes up to us who's going through a tough time, whether it's just a really crummy day, or whether it's something horrendous like the loss of a child? What do we say? Well, let me give you just a few of them, because this is important. First, I love you, and I'm here for you. There's nothing better than that when you're hurting, you know? To know that those around you love you and they're here. I know from personal experience this week, there's nothing like being loved by my wife and family, by my church family in the midst of pain. There's nothing like it. Second, I'm praying for you. Now, you've got to actually do it. Don't say it if you're not doing it. Because we believe in the power of prayer. Again, I know from personal experience, I could feel, I could just feel my spirit being lifted this week time and time again because of your prayers. Because God works through that. We should always be praying for those who are hurting. Third, I know your pain is real. And I am so sorry that you're going through it. When we tell people about our pain and they just try to tie a neat little bow on it, you know why we do that? It's because we feel awkward ourselves. Because we feel uncomfortable ourselves. We're trying to get out of that situation. And honestly, friend, that's not very loving. I know your pain is real. I'm sorry you're going through it. I might not be able to explain it all. You probably don't need me to explain it because it still hurts even if I think I can't explain it. I'm just sorry that you're going through it. And fourth, I'm here whenever you need me. You can call, we can talk. You can be mad, you can be sad, you can be scared. I'm here. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to give up on you you can call me. My friend, you may be this week, you may be Jesus' shoulder for somebody to cry on. You may be his arms to give him a hug. You may be his kind voice to say, I'm sorry, and my heart hurts with you. You may be you may be um, his spirit ministering to them as you pray for them. You may be used by his spirit in that way. God wants to use you. It's okay not to have all the answers. Just love him. Remember the book of Job? His friends were great until they opened their mouths. Sometimes we just need somebody to love us and to care for us. And finally, my friend, maybe you're here today and you're going through a lot of pain and you feel like threshold-wise you are right about here. And you've kind of been hoping that that statement's true, that God won't give you more than you could handle. And you're like, what now? 
because I already felt like I couldn't handle it, and this really isn't helping. Well, can I rephrase that statement for you? It's not that God will never give you more than you can handle. It's that God will help you through this unthinkable pain. He'll help you through the unthinkable. You were never meant to handle it alone. That's truth. God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He's been known to split seas. He's been known to calm storms. He's been known to heal. He's been known to cry with those who are crying. He did all of those things. Maybe he wants to do one of those or more than one in your life today. Won't you let him do that? Won't you trust him? John 16, Jesus said, I've told you all these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Sorry, it's going to happen. But, but, take heart. I have overcome the world. Friend, your pain, ultimately, Jesus died. He rose from the dead. He even conquered death. So even if your pain is not solvable here in this world, God has all of eternity to right the wrongs of this world. The loved ones that we lose, we have hope that we can see them again in Jesus. The physical pain that we go through, we know that someday, followers of Jesus, we get a heavenly body. No more pain and suffering and sickness. Someday we know that that the loneliness, that it goes away because we're in the presence of God. He's got you. So Jesus, would you fill us? Would you fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you fill us with the peace that passes all understanding that would keep our hearts and mind in you? Would you fill us with your love? Because, Lord, you are love, and we love only because you first loved us. God, would you pour your love through us to the hurting, Would you pour your care through us to the lonely? Would you pour your compassion through us to the hurting? Would you pour your words through us to those who need a word of encouragement? And would you give us the peace to just sit there sometimes? I thank you that you have called every one of us to yourself. I thank you that you love us so much that you even will use us to bring peace to this broken world. Lord, I pray that as we go out from this place, or we, as we sign off online, Lord, that you would just fill us with your courage to be your hands and feet this day. For God, we love you, and we pray all of this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen.